thank you all for joining and uh, we'll go right into our discussion. So for those of you who are joining me for the first time, this is a, a, a series that I started some time ago. I, I would think it's more than a year now that I started this series. And uh, I go through uh, sutras, one sutra at a time, basically. And we started out with chapter one. Most of you, I'm assuming, are a little bit familiar with the sutras, at least the overall structure as to there are four chapters and you know all that. I, I'm assuming you all know that. So I started out with the chapter one, <clears throat> the first part of chapter one, did about the first 15 or 17 sutras, 16 sutras. Then I jumped to chapter two, started from the very beginning and finished the entire chapter two, last session. So we finished the last sutra in chapter two, last session. And from today on, I'm going to start with chapter three, uh, which is all about meditation and the kind of super normal powers that one can attain through meditation. Okay, so that's chapter three. So you know, I'm going to go through just a very brief kind of an introduction to what we have done so far. And then we'll go into our understanding of the meditation aspect. So let me share the screen. Okay. So, uh, uh, this is just a brief overview of what we have done in the past, definition of yoga, which is, which is again what we're going to look at it quickly. Uh, then the whole concept of practice and, and non-attachment or vairagya, abhyasa and vairagya. In chapter two, we went through the, the concept of kleshas, which is all the affliction, suffering, pain, stress, all that we go through in life. And there's also a, a fair amount of detail about the Sankhya philosophy that we went through in chapter two. And toward the end of chapter two, they talk about the eight limbs of yoga. And we finished that discussion, as I said, in the last session, last month, the eight limbs of yoga. The, not, not finish the whole thing. I mean, we finish, we finish the part that's in chapter two, okay? And then we'll continue these eight limbs of yoga uh, today, which is uh, the rest of it is in chapter three. Okay. So those are the three stages that are in chapter three, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. And that's what we will cover from now on. <clears throat> All right. So this is again a quick uh, review of what we talked about in the very beginning of the discussion, where it says that uh, you know, when we when we want to understand the mind, remember, let me just put the mind here. Why is it in the opposite? One second. I'm sorry, that was me. I used another de device. It should. Okay, okay. All right, that's fine. <laughs> okay, so let me go back to this uh, first first sutra first. It's the very best basic definition of yoga, which is atha yoga nushasanam. You know, it's the starting point of these sutras where it says, you know, Patanjali is looking at all the students who have been prepared in other disciplines and they are now ready to understand yoga. So that's what he's saying. So now, hey guys, 
you are ready now and I'm ready now and I'm going to give you all the knowledge that I know about yoga. Basically, that's what it means. Atha Yoga Anushasana. And then, uh, that's what it says that, you know, to understand what yoga is all about, we have to know what are the different states of the mind that the mind can be in, okay? So, this is from the, uh, from the commentary by Vyasa on, chap- on the Sutra number one. He says that you should think of the mind as having four states or stages or something like that, you know, scattered mind, which is kshipta, Sanskrit word, which is, which, is, which is what we normally have during our waking state. Mind, mind is constantly moving around. It is scattered all over the place and it's dominated by the rajas guna. Uh, if you don't know what rajas guna is, just hold on. I might talk about it a little bit later. Okay. And the next state of the mind is dull, which is mudha, which is very, uh, you know, a state where you are very dull, lethargic, sleepy, uh, I don't know, I, I call it couch potato state. <laughs> so that's the, the, the state which is dominated by tamas guna. Then there's this partially focused state which is called vikshipta in Sanskrit, which means now you are, let's say you are sitting in meditation or you're trying to focus on something and you're, you're able to stay focused for some length of time, but then the mind goes again all over the place, and but you're able to bring it back to that focus at least for 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 a few moments of time, and that's called vikshipta state. Okay, then we go into the state called ekagra. So this is where you start feeling a little bit of one pointedness, and you are able to hold on to your focus for an additional length of time, a little bit longer time, but then. The final state which Patanjali wants us to reach is Niruddha state, where you are completely absorbed in whatever you are focusing on, totally, total absorption, without any uh, distraction, without any other thoughts coming into the mind. Okay, so that's called the Niruddha state. Then this is the very definition of yoga, Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodhaha, which means that yoga is the ability to control or to calm down what the constant chatter that goes on in the mind, okay, the constant fluctuations, changes, you know, all the time things happening in the mind. And if we can calm those fluctuations down, settle them, settle the mind down, okay, that's called yoga settling the mind down into a very peaceful, quiet, tranquil state. That's yoga by definition. Okay. So uh, to understand, you know, how, how the mind, and if you want to understand something like how to calm the mind, control the mind, you need to know what the mind is like. How does it function? So here is a, a picture which I have, drawn to to kind of understand what the mind looks like overall all right so what they say is and this is from other text it's not from yoga sutra I mean, other texts explain us other commentators that this is how we can think of the mind it's a composite of these four major functions the mind intellect ego and the memory 
So these are the four broad categories of functions that the mind performs. This mind, okay, this, this is the overall mind, and this is the mind that is the, the one that is connected to the, this, the organs, you know, the five organs of action and five organs of perception. You can think of these, okay? So what are the organs of perception? Ears for hearing, which is connected with the ether. Skin is for touch, connected with the air. Eyes for vision, connected with fire. Tongue for the taste, connected with water. Nose for smell, connected with earth. Okay, see the, the, the elements, they're called pancha mahabhuta. Mahabhuta is the great elements, bhuta is elements. Punch is five. It's five great elements that that we are composed of at the physical gross level. Okay, ether, air, fire, water, and earth. Okay, and each of these has a compo component in our five senses. <clears throat> and then, of course, we have the five organs of action: hands, feet, speech, elimination, and procreation. So those are the five organs of action. Okay, they are called karma indriyas. These are called jnana indriyas, jnana, J-N-A-N-A, knowledge. So that's the, the mind that does cognition and motor action, okay? All the indriyas, all the 10 organs are kind of connected with the mind. Then we have the intellect, which does a discriminatory function, which is to, to make decisions, basically. Okay, so that's where we we make decisions, we, we pick up, uh, you know, among multiple choices that are presented to us, uh, more like a discriminatory wisdom, you can call it function. And the ego is our, what, you know, usually they say I, capital I maker, or it's called ahankara in, in, uh, in the Sanskrit terminology. Uh, which is which is what gives us an identity. This is the what which identifies me as a as a father, as a mother, as a parent, as a child, as a shopper, as a shopkeeper. You know, wh whatever. I, these are the what are the different roles I play in my life uh, at a, any given time. What my role is, and that's the, the definition given by ego. And ego also does a lot of work and pulls stuff from the memory. Okay, and this memory, of course, is where everything is stored. All our experiences in life, they are stored in the memory. Okay, and, and then, of course, this is all what we call prakriti. This whole thing is called prakriti, and there are 23 elements here, 23 elements. Okay, what are these 23 elements? The intellect, ego, mind, that's three, and these five organs of action, that's eight, five sense perceptions, that's 13, then there are five, organ, five organs of perception, that's uh, ears, ear, skin, and all that, so that's 18, and then five elements, earth, water, fire, etc. 23. So these are the 23, they're called tattvas in Sanskrit, T-A-T-T-V-A, -T -T tattva. And that's the the kind of the uh, structure of what we have in our physical being, our material entity, which we call the physical being, which is called prakriti in Sanskrit. And then of course, 
through a dotted line, we are connected to Purusha, dotted line, not a solid line. Well, that's the problem. This, this dotted line tends to become solid and that's why we have all the problems. <laughs> that, that's what it is, basically. This is the soul or the Purusha or the Atma, okay? It is supposed to be connected only through a dotted line, but because of ignorance, because of our not understanding our true reality, we, we almost make it a solid line. And when it becomes a solid line, this Purusha, the soul gets entangled with this complex here of the mind, body, and intellect, and begins to get influenced by whatever we are experiencing in life. And in that entanglement, the ego takes over. <laughs> That's the problem. Okay? And when the ego takes over, we are in trouble. So that's the whole idea of yoga, is to how to eventually convert the solid line into its originally intended dotted line and not have any direct connection. Okay? So that's the whole idea. Okay, so well, this is again a, another statement which says, you know, what happens when we have the ability to calm the mind? And it says then the seer rests in its true nature, which is the seer is this Purusha. It's also called the seer because that's the one it's supposed to just be a seer, an onlooker, not getting entangled, okay? But once we have straightened that out, once we have calmed this mind, this whole thing calm without putting too much, you know, act activity on this whole complex, then we can see through clearly. And then this Purusha, this seer can feel, ah, Oh, I, you know, I was so confused. I didn't know what to do, but this is where I'm, I'm supposed to be. You know, I, I'm only supposed to be here, not getting entangled. Once it realizes that, it's, it's liberated. That's what we call, but that's what we call self-realization, okay? So who said, do you, do you do Kriya Yoga? That's the self-realization fellowship, right? Somebody said Kriya Yoga. Yeah. Okay. Shanti. So, you know, that the term they use for, for that state of being where Purusha or the soul has recognized that it is only connected through a dotted line for just mere presence, nothing else. That's called self-realization. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> so that Kriya Yoga uh, the, that, what, what Shanti was talking about, that's a part of the Self-Realization Fellowship Organization started by Yogananda. And, uh, and their Kriya Yoga is different from what Patanjali calls Kriya Yoga, okay? So let's not get confused there. <laughs> okay, all right, but, but then what happens if you're not able to calm the mind, then Patanjali says, hey guys, it's your choice. <laughs> you either calm the mind or, or become self-realized or if you're not able to do that, then you are identified with this mind all the time. That means then this line remains solid and you are entangled and your ego takes over and ego will always look into the memory and the past and try to make you live in the past all the time or project it into the future and live in the future. That's what the ego does. And that happens because this guy, Purusha, doesn't know that it should be separated from here. 
Okay, but when that realization happens, then things happen. Otherwise, it's entangled with this whole mind-body complex and that entanglement causes nothing but suffering. Have you been okay with that? And I have always mentioned, you know, let's make it a dialogue, not necessarily a monologue. So if you have any questions, absolutely speak up. Even if it's not a question, it's a comment. You want to share something, please. Okay. So, so that's what I just wanted to share with you uh, as, a, as a kind of a background uh, to the discussion we are now going to undertake, which is continuation of the eight limbs of yoga. Okay, so now before we go on, does everyone remember the eight limbs of yoga? Who does not know the eight limbs of yoga and would like to know these eight limbs? Speak up. I want to know about that. <laughs> I have to confess. Okay. I kind of remember when I was reading a book, but I, I have to say, I don't remember details of everything. So. Okay. Who remembers them? Heather, do you remember the eight limbs of yoga? Quickly. So I had the handout. <laughs> ah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, oh, sorry, Katie. Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. Okay, very good. Okay. <laughs> So uh, these are the eight limbs of well, yamas and niyamas are, remember, these are the ethical and moral, maybe social, behavioral guideline, guidelines. There are five of, five of each, right? Five yamas and five niyamas. And they're uh, guidelines like never tell a lie, always speak the truth, never hurt anybody, never steal anything, never be greedy, uh, clean yourself all the time, <laughs> you know. Keep, keep yourself clean, keep the environment clean, all those guidelines, you know, and we have gone through them in great detail in the last few sessions. So those are the yamas and niyamas, which uh, basically uh, are the foundation for our yoga journey. Without those, without following those guidelines of yamas and niyamas, we really cannot make much progress in yoga. Because if you, if you, if you steal something, if you tell a lie, you know, there's no way you can be calm in your mind. You know, if you hurt somebody, you can't even sleep very well. You know, sometimes you know that. So there's no way you could you can calm the mind and get into samadhi if you have, if you have been violating those yamas and niyamas. So they they form the foundation for your for your life, basically. Not just not just yoga practice, for your life. Okay. So you have to understand them thoroughly and, and try and follow those guidelines as best as you can. They are not easy to follow, but hey, you don't make a start, you'll never be there. <laughs> okay, so that's what we did uh, as a part of the eight limbs of yoga. So the first two are yamas and niyamas. Third one is asana, which is simply uh, the posture of sitting in meditation. That's what asana means, literally. A sitting posture where you sit down and sit for meditation. But then, as I mentioned, you know, things have evolved over time. 
And then this whole other science of asana has evolved. All the physical postures, you know, standing, sitting postures, reclining postures, inverted postures, all those have come up. But rather than giving them a separate name, they decided to keep the name asana, even though it's not a sitting posture. Asana literally means a sitting posture. But they violated the law of grammar and they said, okay, we'll call them asana. <laughs> That's okay. okay. And pranayama is all the breathing practices. I'm sure most of you are familiar with them. Pratyahara is the ability to turn the senses inward, which is a kind of a prerequisite for getting into meditation. If the mind is constantly uh, disrupted by the five senses, again, it's very hard to get into any kind of focused mind. Okay, so that's why pratyahara is very important. And then, of course, the final three uh, limbs of yoga, they all relate to meditation. Dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. Okay? So that's what we're, where we are now. We'll start with dharana now. All right? That's the first one. So um, what we have been doing is we read the Sanskrit first and then understand the meaning of each word, Sanskrit word, and then look at the, the translation. Okay? So this one is Deshabandha Chittasya Dharana. You may want to keep your you know, uh, mics on mute and still repeat after me so that you can understand how to uh, read these Sanskrit words. It's important to kind of be able to at least uh, read them once, okay? So the first word is Desha Bandha. You can repeat after me. Desha Bandha. Chittasya. Chittasya. Dharana. Okay. So Dharana or concentration is the confining of the mind within a limited area or object of concentration. Okay, that's the... Sutra here. Desha is a place. Okay. Desha also means a country. Desha is a location. It's a place. Okay. Physical location of place. Okay. Bandha means to bind something. Bandha. Okay. Binding. Chittasya is of the mind and that's dharana. So the definition of dharana is the ability to bind the mind, which means focus the mind on something, some place, some physical location in general, okay? But then, you know, every commentator, you know, if you read different different people who have written commentaries, they have their own kind of ideas as to what that might mean. And some people claim that it is only a physical object that you should have. Physical in the sense, it could be a, a part of the body and many people you know, many commentators believe it should be one of these like chakra locations, right? Agnya chakra is here, Vishuddhi chakra, throat area, heart chakra, navel chakra at the navel center, and etc. etc. So that's one way of looking at it. Desha, the other is uh, tip of the nose. Your breath can be a desha, can be a focal point. Uh, in my own uh, practice and from what I have studied, 
I have found that many other area parts, uh, areas can be used as, as a focal point. Let me see if I have listed them somewhere. Hold on a second. So focal, focus on a physical object location, third eye, tip of the nose, one of the chakras, or some mental image, actually. That's a very important. Many commentators feel that you can pick, pick a mental image of an object. And most commonly, it is the image of some deity that you worship, especially in the Indian tradition. It is very common for people, you know, depending on who you worship, like who your uh, your your Ishta Devata is. Ishta Devata is the one who you you subscribe to in terms of spiritual uh, guidance, like Shiva or Vishnu or you know uh, any any one of those deities or some of the goddesses we have, Saraswati, Lakshmi, and all those things, or anything. You know, if you if you have a, if you belong to a different tradition, like Christ, you know, for example, could be the image you have in mind, whatever, cross or something like that. Uh, any deity or a spiritual guru, you can take a physical image of that entity and keep that in your mind as your mind and your mental focus initially, okay? So that becomes a form of dharana, okay? In dharana, of course, the mind stays focused for a short time and then it gets distracted. That's always going to happen. That's when you start the meditation, you set the intention, hey, I'm going to sit for meditation for 25 minutes. And for a few seconds, you are able to, you know, recite whatever your mantra is or you stay focused on your dharana object. And suddenly other thoughts come in, you know, so. I have a question. Yes. Um, I, it seems like I do better with this if I have my eyes open and look at a physical object in the room, because if I close my eyes, I seem to, my thoughts seem to whirl around. And I think I read somewhere that the Dalai Lama actually meditates with his eyes open. Well, you know, what Dalai Lama says is, you know, the eyes should be half open, not necessarily open. And he doesn't say norm, he doesn't necessarily say that you should look an object, <laughs> What he says is, you should look at the tip of the nose, maybe with a very half open kind of eyes. That's one of the things. Well, it just seems like for me personally, it just goes better yeah. if there's one object in the room that I can look at. Yeah. Instead of having instead of having my eyes closed. Yeah, that's fine. You know, that's that's a part of dharana practice. You can look at an, an object, and that's exactly what we do in our yoga sessions when we look at, for example, the candle flame, right? That's a very powerful technique of dharana where you gaze at the flame of a candle. It's called trataka, okay? Yeah. And that's a physical object and you're actually gazing at it. Some people gaze at the rising sun. For example, as soon as the sun comes up on the horizon, you gaze at the sun, sun rising sun for just a few moments for a, maybe a couple of minutes at most and then you close the eyes. When you close the eyes, that's when you see a nice, beautiful glow of the sun in your mind now. It's a mental image. Same thing happens with the candle glow. You gaze at the candle flame for a few minutes, five minutes or so. When you close the eyes, you can still see an image of that glow in your mind. And that's the inner glow, which will deepen your focus and concentration because you can follow that for a longer time then. Beautiful. Okay, but when you get into meditation, 
dhyana part, this is all dharana. When you transition to your dhyana part, then of course you have to keep the eyes closed. Okay. And I, I just listed here, there is an ancient tantric text called the Sri Vijnana Bhairava Tantra. And it lists 112 techniques of dharana. 112. It's all focused on dharana. And it's a dialogue between Shiva and Parvati, Shiva and his wife. And Shiva is telling Parvati, you know, all these different uh, concepts for for developing a deep meditation practice, dharana. Okay. All right. Okay. Any other thoughts on this one? We can move on. All right. So this is the, the next one on dhyana. And again, I'll read the Sanskrit first and I'll Suggest that you repeat after me at least once or twice, maybe, and then we can read the meaning. The sutra is Tatra Pratyaya Ekatanata Dhyanam. So if I read the whole thing, Tatra Pratyaya Ekatanata Dhyanam. Okay, try to repeat that. Tatra Pratyaya katanata dhyanam. Definition of dhyana. Dhyanam is dhyana, which is meditation. And what's the definition? Tatra means there. That means once you have attained a single point of focus in dharana, that in that state, tatra means in that state or there, in that situation, which is which is what? Which is what was talked about in the previous sutra. And what was talked about in the previous sutra? Dharana. So our, our, our initial state of focus, once you are able to maintain your mind focused on that dharana ob object, then pratyaya is the thought. So uh, let me read this translation first so that then we can go and read the individual meaning. Uninterrupted flow of the mind towards the object chosen for meditation is dhyanam, is contemplation. Okay. So, this is pratyaya. Pratyaya is content of the mind. Any thought, anything actually, thought is not even very accurate. It's any content of the mind. Ekatanata means fixed on one point only. Ekatanata, which means stretching the same content of the mind for a long period of time. That's, it comes from the word tan. Tan means to stretch. Okay? Tan means to stretch. This is the Sanskrit word. And when you add the prefix eka, eka means one. So you are stretching something in unison, in oneness. That means you are able to maintain the same content in the mind for, a, for an extended period of time. That's called ekatanata. Okay? The ability to maintain the content of the mind same content for an extended protracted period of time. And, and when you're able to do that, that becomes meditation. That's dharana, dhyana. Okay. So from dharana, now we transition to dhyana. 
again, the pronunciation of these Sanskrit words is important to kind of focus on, learn how to pronounce these. And for non-native Indian speakers, sometimes it is very difficult to, to sound these, to make these sounds like dhyana. It's not easy for most uh, non-Indians, but make an, make an effort, okay? If you need, a, if you need to, to understand how to do that, you know, call me separately on Sunday and, and ask me that you, you are interested in learning how to pronounce these sounds. Okay? I'll be very happy to work with you, okay? That's not easy. Dhyanam. Okay? Say that loud in your own uh, place. Dhyanam. Okay? All right. Okay. So mind focused on a single object for a length of time. Concentration, of course, mind fluctuates between different aspects of the same object. But the I sense remains, I am meditating. That's a part of this whole process, okay? So to give an you know, example, for example, uh, what do we mean by saying that, allowing the same content of the mind to stay in the mind all the time? So pick an object, right? Uh, let's say, I look at the I look at Anna's image, right? And I, what hap, what ha, what I have in my mind is an image of her face. And let's say I want to use that as my object of meditation. Okay, so uh, so I'm going to keep that image in my mind, right? And I'm going to try to keep that same object for an extended period of time, that same image, right? But just the way mind is, right? As soon as I have that image in my mind, my mind will run away into thoughts. Oh, Anna is the one who lives in Togo. Oh, what's Togo like? I, I have no idea. I've never been there. But she's French. Maybe she, you know, she's from France. And then what is she doing there in Togo all the way? You know? Those kind of thoughts will come in. And then, of course, from France, oh, my God, I visited France so, so many years ago. It was such and such. And then, of course, the mind goes here, all over the place, right? An image of Anna's face way back in the background somewhere. I don't even have that image anymore now. So I've lost my object of meditation. And that's exactly what happens all the time. And you know, you've been, some of you said you've been meditating for a while, uh, but that's exactly what I'm sure your experience is. As soon as you sit for meditation, random thoughts take over, random thoughts. And that's the challenge of meditation, okay? How to keep the mind focused for some length of time. That's meditation. Tatra, pratyaya. Pratyaya is, is whatever is, happens to be the content of the mind. And it could be anything, okay? Like it, it could be a smell. It could be a smell. It could be a sight. It could be a sound. You, the feeling of a touch or something. That's the five senses I'm saying. But then it could be a thought, could be an emotion, could be an image of something, all right? Anything. I mean, there are, in, in our ancient texts, they give examples of people having intense hatred for somebody. Intense hatred. So deep that they had absolutely no other thought in mind. And they attained self-realization. 
because their mind was so deeply focused. Right? Does anybody remember anything like this in our culture, in our ancient system? Yeah, tell us, Shanti. I think I, I think the name is Sishupala, someone yes. who really hated Lord Krishna. Uh, yes, Shishu, that's, that's the story that comes up in mind all the time. Shishupala, he was so deeply focused on hating Krishna, they claim that he eventually led to self-realization <laughs> because of that, in, because he had nothing else in mind. Absolutely no other thought. <laughs> so people say you can meditate on anger, for example. If you're angry, just focus on that, on that anger. Of course, eventually the anger melts away and then you, you, you become very peaceful and calm eventually. All right. So anything you, know, you can focus on, but over the years, as you all, most of you know, the one object that has come out as the most commonly practiced object of meditation is a mantra. Does everyone know what a mantra is, right? So mantra is, is a word or a short phrase. Uh, some mantras even don't even have a meaning, you know, but most mantras, you know, when, they, when you pick a mantra, if it has a meaning, you can, you can relate to it better. Okay? But there are mantras which don't have any meaning, but you can recite those. That's fine. So the idea is to, is to learn to, to stay focused on your mantra as a part of your meditation process. That's, that's what is done you know, fairly frequently now. Most people do that. Okay. All right. So I should expand on this a little bit more. I don't have enough notes here. Hmm. Okay, I need to work on that. Okay, next one. Number three. This is the definition of samadhi. So let me read the, the Sanskrit first and you can repeat after me. Tadeva arthamatra nirbhasam swarupa shunyameva Samadhi. Okay. So again, the, the words are Tadeva Arthamatra Nirbhasam Swarupa Shunyameva Samadhi. The meaning given is that during contemplation, when consciousness only of the object of meditation remains and not even of itself, that is. Samadhi. So, Tadev. Uh, okay. Tad means that. That referring to, again, the previous sutra. Always you will find this reference to the previous sutra or, the, or a bunch of previous sutras in, in the current sutra. Okay. So, that, that means the practice of meditation that we talked about in sutra number two. That, okay. Uh, that itself becomes, or that very practice becomes samadhi. How? When only the artha matra, artha matra, artha means the essence, the very essence or the very meaning, the very deep meaning of that object. Only, matra means alone, that nothing else. Just the meaning of that object, 
whatever that happens to be in their mind, that's the one that, that shines through. Nirbhasam means shines. Okay. Only the very essential meaning of that object shines through. Nirbhasam. Okay. It, it, it shines, it comes across as, as clearly visible, that meaning only. Okay, Swarupa Shunya Meva. Swarup means our own nature, own, own form. Shunya means absence. So as if you are devoid of your own identity, basically. Swarupa means own identity, meaning that you are so deeply engrossed in the object that you are meditating upon. You don't even know that you are meditating. That identity has gone because you have merged so deeply with that object, you become one with that. Now you're, you are that object of meditation. So how can you know that who's meditating? <laughs> That's the kind of depth we're trying to get at when we are meditating. We lose our own identity and become one with that object that we are meditating upon. That's called samadhi. So tadeva arthamatra nirvasam. Arthamatra means only that essential meaning, the essence of that object remains in your mind. Nirvasam is only that the only thing that's visible, that's the only thing that shines through. Swarupa shunyam eva. That means I am not even aware of my own identity. And that is called samadhi. Samadhi. Okay. So let's see what my notes say. Total ob absorption in the object of meditation. I sense is dissolved. No sense of I am meditating. That's what it is. The meditator and the act of meditation merged with the object of meditation. That's why it says you lose that sense of swarupa. Swarupa means your own, the own being, you lose that sense altogether. Okay? Now, there are different stages of samadhi, which we are going to come to now. Okay? Patanjali talked about them in the Chapter one, so it says chapter one for different categories and stages of samadhi. But we are going to come to all those now. Okay, we'll we'll be talking about those in, in these discussions, different stages of samadhi. Okay. So these are the three stages of think of them as meditation, overall meditation, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. Okay. Again, a quick overview review. Dharana was the initial focus. Dhyana is to, to get absorbed in your object of meditation. Okay, it's like a flow of, you know, they say the mind should flow like the flow of oil. You know, there's no breakage, no disruption. That's how you want it. Okay, and when that flow, oil-like flow of the mind becomes very, very deep, and there's nothing else that you can think of, nothing else sticks to that oil at that time. <laughs> then you are in a state of samadhi eventually. Okay. Let's move on. So this is just another word that Patanjali has used in chapter 3. All through chapter 3 he has used this term called sanyama. 
And it's very simply trayam ekatra. Trayam means all these three. Three mean dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. When you do them together on, a, on an object or for some, for some length of time, together on something, and then that the term he, he will be using is sanyama in this whole context in the chapter three. That's all he's saying, that I'm going to use a term sanyama, and you should understand that this is the combination of dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. That's all he's saying. Nothing more to it. Question, Subhashi. Yes. So, doesn't uh, samadhi already include uh, dharana or dhyana? Or what I mean to say, when we are when we are prepping for samadhi, haven't we? Isn't it already? Haven't we already gone through those phases? Yes, we have gone through dharana and dhyana, and then when we reach the state where now I am so deeply absorbed in that that not only there is no other thought. But even the thought that I am meditating has dissolved now. So, uh, some the, the previous slide, um, Samya, Sayam, Sayam. So, um, isn't it redundant? Isn't it the same as Samadhi? I think. No, no, no. What, what we're saying is, you know, when we say do Sanyama on something, right? It is going to, in the chapter three, He's going to talk about many, many things. Okay, do sanyama on the tip of on the on the tip of the throat or something, or do sanyama on the navel center, or do sanyama on some light, or do sanyama on the moon or sun. What it, what it's saying is that you first go through the stage of dharana. Okay, so pick a kind of a physical aspect of that or some uh, place you know location. Focus on that and then go into your dhyana. Okay, so you now you are. Focus on the, on the meaning and the essential aspect of the meaning. But then when you get into a stage where you are now able to so deeply focus on it, that you lost, so far, you know that you are meditating. You know that you are focusing on it. But there comes a point when you recognize nothing but that object. Even you have lost your own identity. That is samadhi. Okay, so when you do the same thing on, on a single object, that's sanyama. In that sequence, Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. Eventually, the goal is to reach Samadhi. Yeah. So, I guess they could just say do Samadhi. <laughs> right. But, but then, you know, because you want to identify, how do you get to Samadhi? You have to go through Dharana. How do you get to Dhyana? You have to go through Dharana. Right? So, that's why Patanjali said these three together combined will be mentioned as Sanyama. That's all he's saying there. Because in, sutra, in chapter 3, every sutra will say, by sanyama on this, you get this. By sanyama on this, you get this. Okay, by doing this, you get this. All right? That's what it is going to say. All right. So now, this is a kind of the introduction to chapter 3, like I said, which is all uh, talking about different supernormal powers that you can attain by meditating on different things, different entities. Then, you know, Patanjali has gone through them in detail in this chapter three. But now I'm going to switch over to chapter one, where actually he talks about the different stages of Samadhi, different stages of, you can think of them stages of meditation. Uh, okay, so that's what we are going to go into now. All right. 
So this is going to be fairly a deep topic. You have to be careful. If you have questions, do ask, okay? So this is number, Sutra number 17 in chapter one. And here broadly, he's talking about four different stages of Samadhi, okay? So let me read these words here. Vitarka. Let me read the whole thing first and then I'll uh, ask you to repeat after me. Vitarka vicharananda spita rupa nugamat sampragnyataha. That's the whole phrase. And the, the, the words are, oh, let me read this, the translation first. Sampragnyata samadhi, that's the name given to that, that type of samadhi, that category of samadhi, sampragnyata, which means with cognition, with, with an object of meditation. Okay, sampragnyata samadhi is that which is accompanied by gross awareness, subtle awareness, bliss and the sense of pure being okay that's the, the the statement here so let's go through the the words individually now so you can repeat after me vitarka vichara ananda asmita rupanugamat sampragnyataha And that he stops here because everyone adds the word samadhi after that. All the commentators they do. That's what it means basically. So that's called the sampragnyata samadhi. <clears throat> but Patanjali doesn't use the word samadhi here for some reason. But every commentator knows that. So again, vitarka, vichara, ananda, asmita, rupanugamat, sampragnyataha. Okay. So we can read the notes here. So sampragnyata implies samadhi is pragna. Pragna means pragna literally means a deep knowledge of something. It comes from nya. Nya means to know something. When you add the prefix pra, it becomes a very deep, thorough knowledge of something. So very deep understanding. Okay. Okay, so some pragna means with a very clear understanding of something, some pragnata samadhi. And here, when we say clear knowledge and clear understanding of what? The object of meditation. <laughs> That's what we are talking about, right? So, any object that we have picked, any mantra or any other object that we have picked for our meditation, uh, okay, in this samadhi, we gain a very, very thorough deep understanding, understanding, uh, awareness basically. And nothing else remains in the mind. We are only aware about the, the object that we are focusing on, okay? That's Sampragnyata Samadhi. So it refers to the one-pointed Ekagra state, which is one of the five states that we talked about, okay? Very one-pointed state, okay? Focused. Focus means there are no other thoughts that can come in easily into the mind. Now, these are the four stages of this meditation, of this samadhi, four stages. What are the four stages? Vitarka. Now, <laughs> you know, Patanjali uses some very, uh, some of the Sanskrit terms in a more 
kind of a technical sense you can call it or in a in a way which are different from the very normal meaning associated with these words in common parlance common language these words may mean something else but somehow patanjali picked those words to mean something slightly different that's what he did and it it all <laughs> is up to the commentators to try and make some sense of what patanjali might have meant by using these words which are normally used for some other purposes so the common meaning of vitarka you know in common language when we when we use sanskrit words and sanskrit sentences vitarka means very analytical kind of thinking that's what it means literally vitarka means tarka it comes from tarka you know vad vivad some of you some of you may have heard this term tarka vivad tarka means a very analytical thinking analytical approach vitarka very deep analytical approach that's the the common meaning that is used in common language but based on what the commentators say based on what patanjali has written for the other things other uh, aspects they believe that patanjali means meditating on a gross aspect of the object of meditation gross aspect or a gross object like i said you know when we talked about looking at an object and and eleanor said she likes to look at an object that's the grossness of that object right so you look at that gross object and you are only focusing on the gross properties of that object okay that becomes the vitarka part okay so if i am looking at the candle flame as my object i am more focused on the gross aspect of that candle flame you know what the size is what the shape is what kind of glow it has what kind of uh, intensity it has you know what is the wick look like what is the uh, flame look like and all those aspects are embedded in my mind as the as the physical uh, gross attributes of that object okay and now when i close the eyes okay now i am looking at just the glow just the glow and that become the subtler aspect of that object now subtler so from the vitarka then we go when we go into the vichara part so vitarka to vichara so i have now given up that the total gross aspect i am not concerned with with the fact that this this flame is that uh, that from a candle candle is the this, this this shape and size and there's this kind of aura around it and this is the wick and this the size of the none of that when you when you focus on that inner glow whether it's the flame or even if you had looked at the sun for example right like said rising sun when you close the eyes all you are aware of is that very glow nothing else you don't even know where that glow came from <laughs> that part is gone that gross part is gone now and now it is only the glow and it's the very subtle aspect of that object that you had observed that becomes the vichara part subtle aspect okay and then uh we come to the ananda and asmita what's ananda 
Ananda is the bliss part. Ananda is the state of mental bliss, you can call it inner kind of sense of joy, upliftment. So when I'm focusing on that candle flame, if that's all I want to do, if I, I, I don't want to transition to my mantra meditation, and I, my only focus is on the candle flame, and I think that's what I'm going to focus on throughout my meditation, then once I have observed that candle flame, that inner image in my mind for a length of time, what happens is that flame is eventually going to disappear. It's not going to stay forever. But having done that focus for a length of time, my mind has become so peaceful that I am in a state of joy now, <laughs> ananda. And I'm able to stay in that state of joy for some length of time. Nothing else can come to my mind or distract my mind. Okay? So that's the ananda part, blissful state. And then from the blissful state, I come to the aspita part. I am, <laughs> I exist, right? That's the ultimate part of that whole process that I want to get at because even that sense of bliss, the sense of joy, kind of fades away because what I want to feel is pure existence. Nothing else. I am, a, you know, the, 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 like they say, I, I am, period. That becomes a full sentence. Okay? Because I have completely gotten rid of that adjective called I am happy. I am blissful. Adjectives have been dropped now, completely at that point. I'm not saying I'm blissful, I'm happy, or I'm sad, or nothing of that. None of those adjectives or additive nouns are attached to their sentence, I am. It's a full sentence, period. I am, period. I exist. That's it. That's asmita state, which has transcended all these gross, subtle, and the bliss states. Okay. And that's the final stage of the sampragnata samadhi. Because that, that joy and that state still comes from having observed an object which was in my mind for a long period of time. So that remnant of that object still remains in my mind. That's why it is sampragnata. Sampragnata means I still have the knowledge or at least the starting point was that knowledge of that object. And from there, when you transition to the next state, which is a sampragnata samadhi, a, and when you add the prefix a, it negates the previous the, this the, the word that is it's uh, qualifying a some so previous one was sampragnata, and this is now a sampragnata samadhi. Okay, of course, Patanjali doesn't use that word; it's the commentators. Okay, so let me read the, the sutra first and then we'll read the meaning and then go to the individual word meaning. So the sutra is Virama. Let me read the whole thing first. Virama pratyaya abhyasa purvaha sanskara sheshaha anyaha. Okay, that's the Sanskrit phrase. So let's repeat the words one by one. Virama. 
प्रत्यय अभ्यास पूर्व संस्कार शेष अन्य होल सेंटेंस सो अन्य मीन्स दी अदर सो अदर मीन्स नॉट द वन दैट यू टॉक्ट अबाउट अर्लियर दर्लियर वन वॉज संप्रज्ञात रिमेम्बर दर्ड यूज वॉज संप्रज्ञात so now he says i'm going to define the other one <laughs> which every commentator says it's asampragnyata patanjali hasn't used that term but every commentator has everyone so anya means other one the other being different from the sampragnyata opposite of that different from that okay that's the one we is being is being uh, defined here the other one and how do you define it virama pratyaya abhyasa purvaha okay so remember we said pratyaya is the content of the mind same word is used here a thought or a notion of something or some content of the mind virama means stoppage full stop is called virama purna virama in sanskrit okay so when when you have a a period at the end of of a sentence full stop period that's called virama stop okay so virama means to stop something bring something to a halt okay cessation is the term used by this um, this translator so virama pratyaya so that means you are able to stop the flow of the content of the mind how abhyas purvah that means through a lot of practice a lot of training through a lot of long periods of meditation you have been able to suspend the movement of thought the movement of content of the mind virama suspend it stop it and then what happens samskara sheshaha what remains is only an impression of that nothingness in the mind <laughs> basically that's what it is okay you have been meditating now for a long time and over a period of time you have meditated hard enough long enough so deeply focused that you're able to stop virama put a put a stoppage to the to this this constant chatter this constant flow of stuff in the mind you've been able to stop that nothing moving going on in the mind and yet what remains <coughs> is an impression of that nothingness in a sense because everything that goes on in the mind everything that doesn't go on in the mind it will still leave an impression in the mind it's called samskara so they claim that there is an there is an impression left of even this nothingness in the mind <laughs> okay that's the beauty of these uh, sutras you know they go so deep into this understanding even nothingness gets implanted in your mind okay? so the remnant impression left in the mind on the dropping of the pratyaya after the previous practice 
is the other samadhi or the asampragyata samadhi. Okay? That's the whole meaning of this, of this phrase, this sutra. Okay? So when all fluctuations of the mind have ceased and only the samskara remains, that state is the other or the asampragyata, object of meditation, <coughs> has also disappeared. Okay. <clears throat> and this state is attained through supreme detachment. That will come later. <clears throat> okay. And, uh, and there's no more object of meditation in the mind. It almost implies the absence of mind you can think of. Patanjali has given this other term, nirbija or seedless samadhi, seedless. There's no active samskara remains in the mind in the form of a seed. <coughs> that means nothing can, can grow in the mind as a, as a new thought or as a new impression in the mind, okay? Uh, question. Yes. I'm assuming that the more you meditate, the quicker you would reach these states that we're talking about. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's, it's not just more, it's how long do you need to sit for. <clears throat> and Patanjali has talked about it. I think I mentioned it before. That to get to that state, it won't happen in this lifetime. He has very clearly stated that. Okay. The, the, the thing is, when we're when we're, we're discussing all this, I, I guess I'm not that successful with my meditation because some of the things you describe, I guess, are a little dense for me because I don't feel like I've personally experienced them in my meditation. <laughs> oh, well, I've been a, a, I, what, my, what I'm saying is based on what I learned from these books and commentators. Doesn't mean that I've experienced these myself. So it's more like an intellectual understanding at this point in my, in my own case, okay? Because experiencing these things takes time, you know? I mean, that's, that's the nature of the practice, basically. <laughs> okay, yeah. Basically, I'm just dumping what I've learned from these commentators. Nothing else. <laughs> so, it's not that I have experienced many of these states at all. No, that's, you know, it's work in progress. Let's put it this way. It's, it's a work in progress, long way off. But, you know, what I have experienced is that even though you know I cannot say that I've reached any state of samadhi or anything, but the whole experience has brought many other benefits. You know, you can think of it as a journey, and then you have these side views and you know these beautiful spots that come in, in on the way. You know, scenic view. You can think of that when you go on a ride. You have a scenic view. But you get these beautiful scenic views on the way, you know, where you have, uh, in terms of samadhi, you, you, get, you have these few uh, fleeting moments of stillness of the mind when you feel very peaceful, very calm. And then, of course, you also learn to stay a, more, a little more focused. You can maybe start managing your time a little bit better. And when you're a little more focused, you can work on your activities 
with a little more intensity and focus. So you're more productive, more effective, more efficient in your work. All these things happen as a result of meditation. You may not reach, you know, attain the state of samadhi, but so many benefits will start accruing to you that you want to continue. Anybody else had that experience? Please tell, share. Please talk about it. Yes. Um, I think I'm more productive. I uh, right, I have done all kinds of meditations. Right now, I'm doing the Om chanting and light meditation. I think I, I do it every day, every morning, at least for 10 to 15 minutes. It's, ah. it's part of, it has become part of my life. And I, um, I think I'm able to concentrate more and more productive than 10 years ago. That's a good point, yeah. Um, I have a question though. Did you say that Patanjali said it cannot be attained in this lifetime? Is that? No, no. He, I mean, he, he doesn't say it specifically, but he does talk about karma and then rebirth and all that, you know, depending on what, what kind of karmas you do, you will get into a different state, uh, different uh, life uh, and life span of life, the quality of life and all that. He talks about that. Yeah. So he's He's fully, uh, you know, convinced that we are going to have multiple lifetimes before we can attain this whole final state of self-realization. He doesn't say you cannot attain it. Obviously, we have instances in our history where people seem to have attained in this lifetime. You know? and they always give example of Raman Maharishi and, you know, people, many other people. <laughs> Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna and, you know, all these people, they were very enlightened people and apparently they attained all this but those are rare instances for, for most people like I'm saying for people like me you know it takes several lifetimes it's okay I don't mind <laughs> as long as we don't go backward in the next time <laughs> that's, what they, that's what he says you, know, you don't you don't start with a clean slate you always start with where you left off in the previous life that's the idea because you carry you know, the term he uses is karmashaya. Karmashaya is the bag of karmas that you carry from one life to the next life to the next life. And that karma is what you have attained or collected in this life, along with something that came from previous lives. You know, all that is always there. The vasana from the previous lives is always there, but then it gets added with something that you earn in this life, and then you move on with the same kind of baggage. Okay, so that's May what I say something? I think someone asked, I'm not sure if it's the Dalai Lama, one of the spirit, or Vivekananda, like with all this, what did you achieve? What did you get? And he said, I got nothing, but I lost my anger. Yeah. You know, so you lose all those and you're more peaceful. So you don't get anything, you lose many things that you don't want. So yeah, That's our right. natural state is pureness, like we are God, but we accumulate all this dust around mm -hmm. us, you know, uh, greed, uh, anger, hatred, jealousy, you know, so all those slowly come off and our true nature comes. So that's why, you know, people ask me, you know, uh, because I'm an instructor, people ask me, well, what have you gained through your, you know, practice of yoga? So that's, you know, one thing that comes to my mind is that, look, guys, it is extremely hard to get me angry at this point. You can try hard, you probably won't succeed in getting me angry. I don't recall getting angry in the last 20 years, you know, over anything. It doesn't matter. 
And that's, you know, not 20, maybe 15 years, something like that. But that's one thing that has happened, you know. I, you know, I don't feel angry, upset or anything. Able to, you know, just sit calm and quiet, no matter how difficult the situation is. Uh, but there are things that I'm still working on. It's not that <laughs> there are not things that I need to work on. I, I need to work on many things. But many things have happened which have become very positive in my life as a, as a result of all these uh, practices. Absolutely, you're right. Okay, anybody else? Any thoughts? I just realized, Subhaji, I need to do meditation more. With two <laughs> young kids at home, my mind is always... <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Very true. We all need to do that. Not just you. Everyone needs to do that. I need to do that too. More, more maybe a little more longer period of time. <laughs> I can also say that from um, the more I do meditation, I have a lot of trauma and we have intergenerational trauma in my family. So I, uh, the emotions are very big and difficult to manage at times. And I used to have a pretty debilitating um, panic disorder. Um, but when I meditate, the sense of being safe in my own body is much more accessible than when I'm just, you know, the emotions um, get checked somehow. There's just more order inside than if I'm not doing it. And that's, um, it's really noticeable. <laughs> True. Very good. Very good. I'm so glad you were able to share your thoughts. Okay. It's a little after four. Normally we close at four, but we also do five minutes of silent time you know, every time we meet. So if it's okay with everyone, I'm going to mute everyone. And then we will do a little silent time for some time just five minutes. <clears throat> so just close the eyes and just quiet time.
it's really closing here. Let me share the screen again. We'll do the closing sequence. Let's keep the eyes closed. We'll recite Om once now. So take a deep breath in. We'll do the invocation again, the same invocation we did at the beginning. <clears throat> so again, you can look at the screen or you can close the eyes and listen in. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavaitya kena yopakarotam pravaram muninam Patanjalim Pranjaliranatosmi Patanjalim Pranjaliranatosmi Abahu Purushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim Closing Shanti Mantra. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Amritangamaya Om Shanti 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 Lead me from unreal to the real, darkness to light, and from the fear of death, lead me to the knowledge of immortality. Peace, peace, peace. Thank you all very much. Namaste, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of the day, evening, night for you, Anna. <laughs> Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you all and hope to see you back. We have this every month. Oh, before I forget, you know, tomorrow we are doing a very special program for COVID relief in India. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, if you're familiar with it. If you're not, let me know. I'll be glad to send you the invite. Uh, encourage you to join or share that with your friends or whoever, you know, you, you can think and attend and contribute to the cause. You know, it's a, as everyone knows, you know, it's a very dire situation in India and anything that we can do to help fully appreciated. So we're doing a special yoga session, regular session, asana and pranayama, brief meditation, standard, but uh, we'd love to have your participation. Okay, That's tomorrow, six in the evening, US time, East Coast time. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you.